Good morning, City Light Church. This is our first Sunday. We can cheer for that, man. This is our first Sunday. Man, that's a, that is a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to me, for sure. Let me tell you a little bit of my story. For me, this journey and this day started more than 10 years ago in college. I felt God tell me, Eric, I want you to plant a church in Council Bluffs. And at the time, I was dating a girl who I hoped to be my wife, and I convinced her to go on a date with me, and I thought, you know what, I better lay all my cards on the table right away, because that's kind of a miracle in the first place that she's uh, gone out with me. And so I said, uh, Sarah, here's, here's what you need to know. I feel like God's called me to plant a church in Council Bluffs, right? It's not Denver. There are no mountains, but we have bluffs, and they're more rare, right? And there's no ocean. This isn't the coast, but we have Lake Manawa and the river, and, uh, you know, it's not the sexiest place in the world, but it's home, and there's no mountains, there's no ocean, but there's no place like home. Sarah, would you plant a church with me in Council Bluffs? And we started praying 10 years ago together for this day. Yeah. And we moved to the city, and we started meeting with some friends. Uh, we built friendships. We started serving the city together, and we started praying for this day and for you people. And I'm so grateful. I'm, I'm, so, I'm an emotional dude. <laughs> I'm so grateful you're here today because it's evidence that we serve a God who answers prayer and who finishes what he begins. And so thank you for being here and being part of an answer to prayer. We are at City Light Church in Council Bluffs, Iowa. It's our first Sunday. That's reason to celebrate, okay? Um, All right. As Doug said earlier, this is City Light Church. And one thing that will mark this place, if you want to know who we are, what we're about, when it all comes down, we love Jesus. We love Jesus Christ. Our sermon series right now, if you're here, you probably saw our new series is called Jesus Saves. We love Jesus because we believe what the Bible says about him. And in 1 Timothy, the Bible says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what he does. It's who he is. And we believe that. We celebrate that. We want other people to know that. And so as we get started as a church, we want that to be a foundation. We want to dig into that truth and make that known. And so if you will, um, dive in with me today in Luke. And as we get started, I just want to, I want to be real, okay? Let's be honest. There's part of each of us that loves the idea of a savior, right? Of a hero, Whether it's uh, an Avenger saving the world from supervillains or Queen Elsa saving Princess Anna from a frozen heart, right? Like everybody loves a hero, a savior. We love it when somebody can do what we can't do to achieve for us something we couldn't achieve on our own. Right? And it's not just the movies, Disney and Marvel, that can evoke these feelings in us. There are real world stories. Like, even in this room, there are people who sponsor orphans across the world. They give money every month so that a child with no family, with no resources, can have food and clothes and education and the care of adults that they would otherwise have no access to. 
Those sponsors literally save kids from lives of poverty and abuse. It's beautiful. When we hear the stories that those kids tell about the lives they once lived and the lives they now live, we celebrate that. And they celebrate that somebody would do for them what they could not do for themselves. Don't we love to have a savior? Right? Today, we're going to look at Jesus, the savior who healed a paralyzed man. And so we want to dig into the book of Luke. You just heard Doug read the story. Now let me set the stage. Who are the characters? Right? We have Jesus. Um, hopefully you've all heard of him. We have some Pharisees. And that's just a proud religious group of people. And we have five guys. Not the same ones that started the burger and fries chain. Okay? These are five guys, four able-bodied men, and one paralyzed guy. And they're friends. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was in a house and he was teaching. And that place was packed with religious people, with Pharisees. Now, these guys, I said they're proud religious people. Let me dig in a little bit. The Pharisees aren't your normal religious people, they are kind of extreme. They love to follow rules and no rules and hold people accountable to follow the rules. They're the kind of guy that when you go to your middle school kid's basketball game, they shout at the high school kid ref for not calling every travel, right? It's middle school basketball. They're going to travel. You call it every time. It's not a game, right? It's annoying. This is the guy that sits across from you at work who has memorized the employee handbook. And when the new guy walks in with some nice boat shoes looking good, he says, hey, those don't meet the dress code while he sits there in Skechers from 2003 that must be fine, right? They know the letter of the law, but they don't get the spirit, okay? This is who the Pharisees are. They're rule-following religious proud people and they've packed a house to hear Jesus teach because they heard what he had done okay Jesus up to this point he was an uneducated poor man yet he was teaching the Bible with authority and accuracy that was unparalleled among the most educated people of the day it's intriguing fantastic teacher and not only that he was healing people. He actually, there were stories that he had healed everything from a fever to leprosy. And these uh, Pharisees thought, listen, if we could learn something from that guy, if he knows new rules, we're going to go and figure that out. And so they went and they heard Jesus teach. But it wasn't just the Pharisees who had heard about him. There were non-religious people, people who just heard, man, there's this guy walking around healing. And these five friends caught wind of what Jesus was doing. Now, imagine what paralysis would have been like in these days. This is uh, not like today. Today, if you have a physical disability, 
There are all kinds of ways that the world tries to help you out. There's wheelchairs and lifts and beds. There are parking spots and ramps, all designed so that people with physical disabilities can have access to the world that at least closely resembles what an able-bodied person can do. In this time, in the Bible, nothing like that existed. This guy was paralyzed. He could not move. He was bedridden. He couldn't take care of himself. Somebody had to clothe him and feed him. Somebody had to take care of the results of being fed, right? If you get what I'm saying. There was a struggle. Paralysis was not easy. And his friends knew the struggle. And they knew he desired to be healed. And when they heard that this guy named Jesus could heal even leprosy, now leprosy was a disease that in its, in its advanced stages, your, your limbs could literally fall off your body. Your eyes could fall out of your head. Like it destroyed the body. If Jesus could heal even a leper, maybe he could heal our friend of his paralysis. And so they decide, you know what? If there's a shot, we're going to take it. Let's go. And they take their friend and they lay him on a bed, a stretcher of sorts. Each one grabs a corner and they start walking, right? And they carry him and they get to the house where Jesus is. And when they get there, there's a problem. The place is packed. There's no room inside. There's no room outside. The doorways are full. The windows are blocked. I mean, we all have a seat here, but you can imagine a full house where you can't even walk in. Maybe if it's just one dude, you can bob and weave or rip and swim and get to the front, right? But this isn't just one guy. This is four guys carrying a stretcher. There's no sneaking in. And so they're discouraged. This is what the uh, Bible says. Verses 18 and 19. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Imagine the picture, right? One of these guys gets a little angry. We did not load up our friend, carry him here to turn around and go home. If there's not a way, we're going to make a way. And so he stands back, he assesses the situation, and he says, the doors are blocked, the windows are blocked, the roof is free. What do you think? Can we get him up there? And the other three guys are like, let's give it a shot. And so they scale the building with their friend, and they make it to the top, and then they think, well, now what do we do, right? <laughs> it's like you got the bull by the horns. What are you going to do? Let it go? Like, and so they look around. We can dig a hole in the roof. It's just thatched. It's like sticks and leaves and rafters. We're going to dig a hole. And so they peel the roof apart. They make a hole, and then they go Mission Impossible, and they lower their friend down like Tom Cruise. Dun, 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 dun. Don't touch the floor, right? Don't drop him on this one. Uh, And they lower him down, and Jesus sees it. He sees what they've done, and this is what he says. And And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus saw what these friends had gone through. He saw what they had endured to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. He saw what they had hoped that Jesus could do when they got there. 
When I think about these four guys, it reminds me a little bit of what some of the people here in this room have done to make this a reality. Let me tell you a couple stories. There's one family, um, Todd and Amanda Johnson. These guys showed up here because Todd worked in this building when it was offices. And they thought, oh, this is going to be a church. We'll check it out. It's in our town. So they became part of this family, and they joined a city group. City groups for us are just small groups that meet throughout the week. They eat dinner. They hang out. They uh, serve the city. They help each other follow Jesus. They joined one. And they became part of our core team. And now they're praying about and working on starting a new city group in their house. Todd and Amanda are going to open the doors to their house to strangers. Serve them food so that somebody might meet Jesus. That's picking up the stretcher, right? That's carrying. There's another family, Chris and Sarah Hubbard. These guys... um, They knew that up the street at Longfellow Elementary School, there are some students who don't have what they need to go to school. Their families can't provide it. And so they said, you know what? Walmart has an app called Savings Catcher. And if you just scan the receipts, all the money you should have saved but didn't goes into a little gift card, right? And they're building up those gift cards so they can use that money to buy school supplies for kids who wouldn't otherwise have them. They're serving those kids and their families, ministering to the staff at the school there. It's awesome. Those people are picking up the stretcher. What can we do so that somebody might meet Jesus? Those are two stories, but the list goes on and on and on. From painting walls and building pallet wood masterpieces, right? To cleaning toilets and taking food to Citigroup. People are picking up the stretcher carrying their friends so that they can see Jesus, hoping that he might move. That's who we are as a church, City Light. We want people to see Jesus. It's no different than these four friends. And when they picked up that stretcher and they carried their friend to see Jesus and they scaled the roof and they lowered him down, Jesus looks at what they've done and he says something totally unexpected. He says, the Bible says, and when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Nobody expected this. The friends who carried uh, their buddy, they expected healing. Jesus, heal him. The homeowner sees the hole in his roof and thinks these are trespassers and vandals. Jesus, condemn that, right? I, you don't do that to somebody's house. The Pharisees, they're proud and they're upset that these guys haven't followed acceptable social customs, right? The educated wealthy people get seats inside. The uneducated, poor, disabled people sit outside. This isn't how it works. Jesus tell them the rules. And Jesus does none of that. Instead, he looks at their faith He looks at these men and he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. What's he doing? Why would he say that of all things? I think it's because Jesus wasn't just a healer, though he was a healer. He wasn't just a teacher of the law, though he was a teacher. Jesus was and is a savior. Yeah, come on. 
He's saving this man both in body and soul. The Bible says when he saw their faith, he saw what they'd endured to get their friend there. He knew what they hoped for. He saw that there was faith in their hearts. They wanted their friend to get healed in body. And Jesus says, I'll do one better. I'll heal his soul. This is the center core of the gospel. God forgiving sinners. This is good news. The gospel is another word. It just means good news. It's city light. We might, uh, we might summarize the gospel of Jesus Christ like this. The gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what we preach. Let me unpack it a little bit. Way back in the very beginning of the Bible, God created the world. And the Bible says that when he created it, it was perfect. There was no war or pain or sickness or suffering or death. Right? If there were mosquitoes, they didn't bite. There were no elections. If there was Netflix, it never buffered. Right? This was perfect. This was paradise. And God created people to live in that and walk with him. And though God created an ultimate paradise and he put people in it and gave them complete freedom to live in perfect harmony with God and creation and with each other, those people rebelled. They said, God, that's not enough. And they disobeyed the only rule that God gave them. And they ate from the forbidden tree. That act... God called sin. That rebellion was rebellion against God himself. And that sinful rebellion that overtook their hearts in that day has overtaken the hearts of all mankind for all time ever since. That sin separated people from God. And since then, the rest of history, from Adam and Eve to Jesus, it's just story after story of people trying to solve the problem. God created us to live in harmony with him and sin has wrecked it. How do we undo that? And religious people tried to live holy lives. They tried to follow all the rules, do it all right, and all of them failed. Other people thought, well, if we can't live with that God, we'll make our own gods. And they fashioned them out of wood and stone and they made up new rules to follow. The problem is, those little gods made of wood and stone could never rival the power of the God of the universe. And ultimately, they were burned or melted or lost, and they failed. Yet other people rejected the notion of God altogether, said, we don't need God. And instead, they gave their lives to the desires of their hearts. In essence, they made themselves their own God. And everybody who did that has died. Here's the reality. No lesser God has ever stood the test of time. No God can endure like our God. They let us down and they fail. And God saw the predicament. He saw the gravity of the situation. Here are people living without me like I did not intend them to live and they cannot find a way out. They can't do it of their own accord 
And so I'm going to make a way where there is no way. Like the four friends who picked up that stretcher and scaled the wall, when they can't do it themselves, I'm going to make a way. And so he sent a savior, an overcomer, a man named Jesus, who came to earth to save sinners. And so he walked on this earth And he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He suffered the same struggles that we do. He endured the same temptations that we do. And in all of it, he never rebelled against his father. And at at the end, his hands and his feet were nailed to the cross after he was condemned to die a sinner's death. And there he breathed his last and hung his head and died. An innocent man, a guilty death. But the The gospel says the story doesn't end there. Like other gods who die and fail, Jesus didn't. After he died, he was buried. And after he was buried, he broke out of the grave, rose again to heaven to sit at the right hand of God and invite anybody who would follow him to take that same path. God forgives the sins of his people in his son, Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's our savior. And that's the Jesus who looked at the faith of these five friends who said, if we can just get to Jesus, he could heal him. He could restore him. And Jesus says, I can do better than fixing his body. I can fix your soul. The longing of your heart. Let me do that. Man, your sins are forgiven. It's good news. And so Jesus declares his sins forgiven. Where else can you find forgiveness like that? Where else? At work when you fail, you get at best a performance improvement plan. At worst, you get fired. In athletics, you fail, you don't make the team. In school, you fail, you don't pass the class. You let your girlfriend down, you get the silent treatment, right? You let your parents down, you get grounded. Where else can you go? You rebel against the government, you go to jail. Where else do you go where you get unconditional forgiveness? I'd submit to you there's no other place outside of Jesus Christ. He looks at this man and he says, man, your sins are forgiven. It's a miracle. So he says, your sins are forgiven and the skeptic, the, the Pharisees are skeptical. Right? They, they say, Jesus, can you really do that? The Bible says this. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Look, at, what they're saying is, sin is rebellion against God. And if that's true, only God can forgive sins. So if Jesus is saying your sins are forgiven, he must be claiming to be God. If he's doing that, it's blasphemy. Is that what Jesus is doing? Is he claiming to be God? Is he claiming he actually can forgive sins? Jesus knew what they were thinking. The Bible says he perceived their thoughts. When he looked at the four friends, he saw their hearts and in them were faith. When he looked at the Pharisees, he saw their hearts and in them were skepticism and he left neither one unaddressed. So let's look at the Bible again. This is what what it says. Verse 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? 
Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? He's saying, you're asking the question, can Jesus really forgive sins? Let me ask you a question. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? I would ask you that question. Which is easier? What do you think? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no verifiable proof, right? There's no evidence that they actually are or aren't that you can look at and just see. If you say rise and walk, everybody in the room immediately knows whether you actually have the power to heal or not. And so he asked the Pharisees, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? Jesus is about to use a physical, visible sign to prove a spiritual, invisible truth. We do this stuff all the time, right? So let's imagine there's a single lady in the crowd here that's looking for a kind of hobbit-like man, right? Short, hairy, awkward dancer, right? If that woman were here... They might wonder, hey, is he on the market, right? So suppose this is the situation. What's the first step she's going to take? She's going to look at my left hand and a finger to see if one of these is there. Why? Because this metal band represents an emotional bond. Anybody who sees this thing knows a different truth that my heart is bound to and my life is caught up with my wife. A physical, visible sign of an invisible, emotional truth. We do this stuff, and Jesus is about to use the same principle. In short, Pharisees, can Jesus really forgive sins? Jesus uses a physical sign to prove an invisible truth. This is what he says. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He turns to the paralyzed man and he says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And all of a sudden, all the eyes in the room fix on the man on the bed. Imagine what it was like for him. Muscles that haven't moved in years Fill with strength and blood. Like the tin man in the Wizard of Oz joints that are stuck from lack of movement start to move freely. A mind that hasn't been able to control a body for years all of a sudden has command again. And he hears the words of his Savior and he obeys and he stands up. And the bed that once carries him, he picks up and carries it and he goes home. Jesus says, rise, pick up your bed, and walk. If Jesus could heal the body, he could heal the soul. The second miracle proves the first. A visible evidence of an invisible truth. Forgiveness is invisible, but walking is evidence. Jesus saves the body and the soul. If you're here today, I want you to know this. The same Jesus that saved that paralyzed man is still saving people today. And I want you to know just a little bit of my story, okay? When I was in eighth grade, um, I was uh, at Stanton uh, Junior High School in Stanton, Iowa. 
And I had a surgery uh, that on my nose that left me unable to smell. Okay, weird situation, right? Hobbit that can't smell. I don't know how I ever got a wife. Left me unable to smell. The doctor said it would be a a small chance that that would happen, but if it happened, it would stick. I'm not going to get it back. And it did happen, and I couldn't smell. And that's not all bad in eighth grade because you don't always want to smell a classroom full of middle school kids, right? But it wasn't all good because what we perceive as taste is actually like 70% smell. So if you get a cold and you can't taste your food, it's not because your tongue is affected, it's because your nose is affected. And so food was mostly bland and flavorless, but it's not, it's not the end of the world, right? If you're going to pick a smell to lose, uh, pick a sense to lose, smell is probably the one most people would pick. So I got used to it, right? Fast forward seven years. I'm a sophomore in college. Those formative years when you're trying to figure out your identity. Who am I? And, you know, to be honest, I would read my Bible in those days, and it was as dry and dead of reading as I'd ever done. It put me to sleep. When I prayed, it felt like I was talking to the wall. My soul was empty, and I felt like giving up on God, right? It's just a dry season. God, where are you? And so I decided, I'm going to pray, but it's going to be simple. And this was my prayer. God, help me seek you because I'm not doing it very well on my own. If you're real, reveal yourself to me. Two simple sentences. God, I can't, I'm not seeking you on my own. I can't do it. Help me. If you're real, show me. And that's all I prayed for weeks. And finals week came and, uh, I read about a guy that fasted. I didn't know what fasting was. I'd never done it. And when I read about it, it sounded really weird, but I just felt like I was supposed to do it, right? This is what what I read about said, your physical hunger will remind you of spiritual hunger. I thought, well, that sounds like something that I need to do. And so I decided during finals week, when you're supposed to eat well so your mind can think right, I'm going to fast. I'm going to quit eating for three days because I only had finals Monday through Wednesday. And so Monday, I started a fast. And it wasn't that bad. I was a little guy and didn't eat a whole lot. But when Tuesday came around, I woke up hungry for the first time in my life. And it was uncomfortable. And as the day wore on, it actually got kind of painful. And um, I didn't know what it meant for that to remind me of a spiritual hunger. Um, and so at the end of the day, uh, my, my roommate is studying for an exam. And when he studied, he snacked all the time. And so I'm sitting there, my roommate's eating, I'm starving, I've committed not to eat, and I had to get out of there. And it's finals week, so everybody's studying, and no place is open, and I don't know where to go or what to do, so at like 7 p.m., I decided to take a shower, because uh, it's the only room in the building that didn't have anybody in it. And so I went, and I took a shower, and as I, I turned up the water as hot as I could, and while I was standing in the shower, I decided to pray, and I prayed my little prayer. God, help me seek you because I'm not doing it very well on my own. If you're real, reveal yourself to me. And in the middle of a fast and in the middle of a prayer, I started smelling apples. I hadn't smelled in seven years. And I prayed and I start smelling apples. I can't figure out where it's coming from. And I turn around and it turns out my shampoo's apple scented. I didn't even know what I bought, right? Because I couldn't smell. It didn't matter to me. 
And so I stood there smelling that apple shampoo suave, man. It's strong. It was awesome. And when I got done, I shut off the water and I ran up and down the hall smelling as much shampoo and cologne as I could find because God had restored it. He used, in the middle of a fast and in the middle of a prayer, when I was saying, God, I need to know if you're real. Show yourself to me. Prove to me that you're real. He restored my body and it restored my soul. Listen, a physical sign of an invisible truth. I don't preach this word because it's an intellectual exercise that makes sense to me. I preach this word because it's a savior who saved me. Sinner, what's your pain? Where's your struggle? Are you guilty? Is your life a history of making bad decisions that haunt you, that have left you in a state that you don't know how to get out of and you just long for freedom? Are you guilty? Are you filthy? Have, has this world and the people in it used and abused you to a point where you look in the mirror and you can't feel clean? You're just dirty feel gross. Are you broken? Try as hard as you can in life. You cannot catch a break. You're just down all the time. Are you broken? Sinner, what's your pain? I'm here to tell you Jesus saves. The world says the guilty are condemned. The filthy are gross. The broken are worthless. Sinners aren't good enough. The sick aren't well enough. The short aren't tall enough. Right? And they say everybody has to measure up. But Jesus is different. He's altogether different. He says, if you're guilty, I'll give you freedom. If you're filthy, I'll make you clean. If you're broken, I'll make you whole. If you're short, well, that's how I made you, but I love you that way, right? (laughs) If you're a sinner, I forgive you. It's a story of my life. It's the story of the lives of people throughout this church and this region and this world, and I want you to know it. And so I don't want you to just take my word for it. Um, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have friends from our body tell you stories about how Jesus saved them. And today, we're going to have Jeff Hines, a good friend of mine, come up and share his story. Jeff, will you step up here? There we go. Hello, my name's Jeff, and this is a little bit of my story, Okay. First, I was raised pretty much in a broken home. My parents got divorced at an early age, so there was the struggle of leadership. And second off, I was raised in a Catholic um, church. Um, I went through all the motions, got baptized, did everything that Grandma did, just because Grandma said, you do this. So... As soon as I got a chance, I left the church as soon as I could. I felt I more or less graduated. <clears throat> After that, my lifestyle of sin pretty much started. I started lying to people, cheating, um, hurting people, manipulating people, taking advantage of people that were very clo- close to me. So eventually, that lifestyle led to me using drugs and alcohol. Um, I first started using at the age of 13 was the first time I 
got high. And eventually I started using hard drugs and binge drinking. By the time I was in my early 20s, I was caught up in addiction. Only to learn that, it, that I was trying to fill a hole in my heart. Um, that hole only could be filled by Jesus. <clears throat> a little more than a year and a half ago, I got caught up with the police to learn that God put the police in my life because I could not stop my life. I was eventually, eventually invited to City Light Church, which I just came to le- learn the word of God. I just came to listen and to see, see what this Jesus guy was about. I had no idea about it because I never paid attention when I was in Catholic Church. I just went. And this is the first time I actually heard the word. And shortly after that, I surrendered my life to Jesus. Yeah. Come on. Yep, yep. All right, here's some scripture that I hold very close to my heart when I was early in the following Jesus, which, is, which I'm still early. However, this is something that I held very close to my heart because I never heard words like this that had as much power that, that pushed me through day by day. This is 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will... He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. All right. That's my story. It's, everybody has a story, but that one's mine. Thank you. City Light Church. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus saves. He saves body and soul. He cares. This is not, uh, when he says, man, your sins are forgiven, that's not intellectual. That's not ineffective. That's not meaningless. That is God reconciling sinners to himself. That is the good news of the gospel. And we will preach it here today and as long as these doors are open. 